continue reading in the Word of God from the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Ruth, chapter 4. We'll read the first 12 verses. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know. There is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? Thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day. That I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilian's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. May God bless the reading of his holy precious word to our hearts this morning. Our text for this morning is from Ruth 4, verses 9 through 12. I won't read those again at this time, but we'll see them in greater detail as we move along. Well, we've seen and heard Naomi's counsel to Ruth to sit still, to rest, knowing that Boaz would be at work to secure her and Naomi's redemption. And so in the anxiety of not knowing exactly what's going to happen, we see the scene shift in chapter 4 as Boaz goes to the gate of the city. As he sits down there, last Sunday we heard the operative word in those opening verses is the word sit down indicating that business was going to take place. Boaz would not rest until the work of redemption was complete, and so he 
calls Mr. So-and-so, the nameless individual, the nearer kinsman, to come and sit. He invites the ten elders of the city to come and sit. He invites the people of the city to, to witness what he's about to do. And then he advertises the land that Naomi holds that belonged to Elimelech, her husband. He sets it before the nearer kinsman and he says, if you want to redeem it, redeem it. But if not, let me know so that I can redeem it because I'm next in line in the line of redemption. And we read that the nearer kinsman says, I will redeem it. And then Boaz says, well, if you redeem it, you also need to buy Ruth and you need to marry her. And the nearer kinsman says, well, then I can't redeem it because I'm going to mar my own inheritance. I'm going to damage my own inheritance that I'm going to pass along to my own children. The deal seemed good to him until Ruth was inserted into the deal. And Boaz receives and secures the right of redemption. The sandal of Mr. So-and-so is given to Boaz to indicate that the transaction has been completed. And so what do we have in the verses this morning that are before us? We have only Boaz. Boaz is the sole redeemer of Ruth and Naomi. A work and an office that he took upon himself, that he delighted to take upon himself at great cost to himself but one that he wanted, one that he set about to accomplish and to secure. Naomi was right, wasn't she? The man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And so our theme this morning is this, redemption accomplished. The thing is finished this day as Boaz stands in the city gate, as he talks to the elders and to the people. And so redemption accomplished. In the first place, we see that it's seen in the purchase of redemption. The scene before us is still paused in the gate of the city. In verse 9, Boaz calls the people to witness again. He says, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilian's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. We see here, first of all, the witness of the purchase. Those who witnessed what Boaz had purchased. And this witness is important. Why does Boaz call the elders and the people to witness what he's done here? Why does he emphasize again in verse 10 that they are all witnesses to what has happened? Well, as we know from Scripture, a witness provides not only proof and legitimacy to the truth of a matter. But here we see that they would provide proof that something was purchased, provided a a public and legally binding character to the purchase that Boaz had made. If Boaz had simply married Ruth, there would not be this, this public and legally binding character to what Boaz had been doing all along. In fact, the law stipulated that these things had to had to be done. The custom and the tradition, as we read in verse 7, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. The tradition of the sandal, the public character of this work of redemption. 
It legitimized what Boaz had done. So Ruth wouldn't all of a sudden show up at his side and people would be questioning, what did Boaz do in marrying this Moabitess? In essence, by calling these people to witness what he had done, he's, he's tying himself to the mast, as it were. It's, a, it's an evidence of his commitment to pursue the work of redemption. That's why he's calling them to witness what he's done here. There's no way out of it now at pains of breaking his oath and commitment. This desire to legalize and legitimize the work of redemption already is seen in chapter 3, verse 13, where Boaz speaks an oath of commitment when he says, but if he, that is Mr. So-and-so, the nearer kinsman, if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman unto thee, as the Lord liveth. There he speaks an oath to Ruth, and then he calls the people to witness what he's done, a double witness of God and the people. Well, just this past Thursday, we had a a wedding here, very similar to what functions here in the passage. The bridal couple made their vows before the people, before the Christian assembly, as the form says, and before God. A public witness provides a legal binding obligation upon the couple, just as it did upon Boaz here in, in these circumstances. Well, in a similar way, if Boaz represents Christ in his office of Redeemer, in the work of redemption, we see that Christ's work of redemption similarly receives that witness. We saw that last week, didn't we, from Paul's words to Agrippa. This thing was not done in a corner. The work of redemption was not accomplished in a corner so that it would remain hidden. It was done publicly for, for humanity to see, for you and I to see this morning. We have a picture of it here in the Old Testament of what Christ was about to do for his people. But Christ himself took upon himself the priestly work of redemption with an oath, similar to Boaz as he did in chapter 3, and also with public witness as those who are, are gathered at the foot of the cross, the eyewitness of the apostles to his resurrection. And again and again we find this public witness, we find the oath of Christ undergirding His work of redemption, much like what is functioning here in in the book of Ruth and the work of Boaz. In fact, Hebrews 7, verse 20 and 21 speaks of this. And inasmuch as not without an oath He was made priest. For those priests in the Old Testament were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And those verses go on to explain how Jesus is perfectly qualified to be a high priest, to redeem those, to save to the uttermost, even from Moab, those who come to him by faith. Maybe you're asking, well, why belabor this point of the oath and the public witness? What does that do for me this morning? Let me say it this way. The fact that there was public witness and an oath undergirding the, the work of redemption speaks to the certainty of redemption. Not just for Ruth and Naomi, but for 
for sinners this morning. It speaks of a certainty of the redemption of Christ. It tells us that not only Boaz is committed to accomplish redemption before God and before all the people, but that Christ, even more so, is committed to the work of redemption on the cross to pay the redemption price of His own blood. Peter says you are redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we have here gives us certainty regarding redemption. It's an accomplished fact. It's an accomplished fact where we can rest our minds and our hearts this morning. We can look at the cross this morning and say it's an accomplished fact undergirded by the oath that the Lord swear to His own Son, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The public witness, the apostolic testimony that Christ was raised from the dead. The work of redemption is accomplished. It speaks to us this morning that Christ alone is the surety in the whole progress of redemption. Christ is the surety of His people this morning. Christ is a sure Redeemer in the words of the hymn. And just as what Boaz was doing demonstrated His integrity and His worthiness, so what Christ has done as we look through this picture and we see Christ reflected in the office of Redeemer and the work of redemption, We see His integrity. We see His worthiness. We see His commitment. We see His willingness. We see His power to redeem this morning. That's why we need to understand what's happening here. There's a certainty undergirding all of this work of redemption this morning so we can come. We can stake our eternity on who Christ is through this picture that Boaz gives to us. But what did Boaz redeem? If there was this witness to the purchase, what did he actually purchase? What was the substance of the purchase? He declares this. He says, I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Killian's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Everything that belonged to Elimelech, the field and the inheritance, everything that belonged to Killian and Malon, Notice how Boaz phrases this. He says, I have redeemed it all. I have bought it all. He's left no stone unturned. He's, his work of redemption is comprehensive. It touched every facet of the property that belonged to Elimelech and to his sons. He bought it all to maximize the redemption of Naomi and Ruth. He bought it from the hand of Naomi. He bought it all. His work of redemption is comprehensive. It's interesting to note here, too, the order of the book of Ruth in terms of of how it refers to the names of the characters, how it refers to the characters throughout the book. You remember from a very first sermon on Ruth 1, how it began with Elimelech and Malon and Killing, and then they faded from the scene as they died, and we don't hear of them anymore until we come here to this particular verse, I have purchased all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Killian's and Malon's. Here they reappear. 
not as living characters, but as dead characters who are going to be, as it were, raised up unto life again through the work of redemption from the hand of Boaz and his, his purchase of their property to sustain the life of Ruth, uh, Naomi and, and bring into marriage Ruth. It's important for several reasons. It points out that redemption is a redemption from, from, from the dead unto life. Elimelech, Malon, and Killian are dead. Naomi has no hope of carrying on the family name, but now Boaz comes along. He will raise up an heir for the inheritance and the family name. So though they faded from view in chapter 1, they come back here. Their names are mentioned here. Because Boaz will redeem their inheritance so their names can be remembered. He will raise up an heir for the family name. And secondly, as these names are mentioned again, it shows how providence continues to serve as the handmaiden of redemption. God does not leave any loose ends in the lives of his people. Naomi had a lot of loose ends as she entered into Bethlehem, didn't she? Struggling with the bitter providence of God with the severe mercies of God, but now God brings her to this point where Boaz is going to redeem her and Ruth. The mention of these three men, we have closure in respect of her redemption. She will be cared for. God cares for His people. And as God cares for His people, He will redeem his people. That's the beautiful picture we have here. Such is God's glorious providence and redemption this morning. He ties up the loose ends. He brings us full circle, doesn't he? To consider that his severe mercy brings us to his sweet mercy of redemption. Providence brings us, even when it's hard, it brings us to consider what God is doing in our lives and brings us back to the feet of Christ, to the feet of the greater Boaz in our redemption, reminding us that providence is serving to bring us as believers, to bring us home to Christ once and for all, to complete that redemption. Maybe some of you are outside of Christ this this morning and you're struggling with God's providence. Maybe you're struggling with the fact of a young man in the hospital with a brain bleed on a ventilator. Wrestling with questions. That too is part of God's providence. It's a hard one. But a severe mercy is speaking in your life this morning to bring you to His sweet mercy. So that you can sit still in this redemption of the greater Boaz to be washed in the blood of Christ, to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. Don't discount the hard providences. Don't have bitter thoughts of God. Say, Lord, what are you doing right now? Don't let me waste these opportunities. And so we see another picture of Christ. This morning, emerging from the work of Boaz as Redeemer. 
And that Christ leaves nothing undone for his people in the work of redemption. Nothing undone. He's redeemed it all. He redeems all of us. And sometimes we go through life and we face discouragement. We see brokenness and we see sin in our own lives. We see indwelling sin. We say with with Paul, the good that I want to do, I don't find myself doing. And the evil that I don't want to be doing, I find myself doing. There's a law at war in my members, a principle of sin, of this indwelling sin. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Discouragement as we see indwelling sin. Did Christ really redeem me when, when I'm still doing the evil that I don't want to be doing? And so what is the answer to that question? It is Christ, His redemption. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Brings us back to the work of redemption. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has redeemed us all, or all of us, not just parts. We need to understand that He's redeemed all of us the whole of us, as a person in principle. Redemption is accomplished if we are a believer in Christ. It is secure in Christ. The battle with indwelling sin reminds us of our need for redemption again and again. Reminds us of our need of the blood to cleanse us again and again. Reminds us of our need to shelter under that blood where there is no condemnation. Reminds us of our reliance on the Holy Spirit as Christ continues His work and progress of redemption in the hearts and lives of individual believers and as a church as a whole. Even though redemption is accomplished in principle, There is a day coming in which salvation and redemption will be fully complete. That too is an accomplished fact in the mind of God and the promises of God as we lean upon those promises this morning. We need these words this morning, don't we? I have bought all. I have bought all that belongs to Elimelech, to Malon, and Killian. Christ doesn't purchase just part of you, believer. But he purchases every part of us to a full inheritance in glory. And so we need to heed the exhortation of Paul in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above, where Christ is, where our inheritance is. And so Boaz purchases all that belongs to Elimelech, to Malon and Killian, to provide for Naomi. But we reach the heights of this purchase as it focuses not only on property, but it focuses on a person. Boaz says in verse 10a, Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. The nearest kinsman, the Mr. So-and-so, as we saw last time, that nameless individual, he was concerned only about the property. He wanted the inheritance so that he could pass it on to his own family. He wanted only the property. He wasn't concerned about the person. But Boaz is not only concerned about redeeming property that belonged to Naomi, he's also concerned about the person of Ruth. The vulnerable stranger has come into 
the nation of Israel. This vulnerable stranger who has come into his fields, we've seen that concern again and again, haven't we? He gives her a place in his field among his reapers. He gives her a place at the table in his home and feeds her with his own hand. He bids his his workers to provide food and grain to fall, making it easy for Ruth to, to reap so that she can go home with an ephah of flour, 30 to 50 pounds of barley. And then at the threshing floor, he says, come and open your veil. He pours in six measures of barley, 60 to 100 pounds of barley. His generosity speaks to his concern. She comes and she says, spread your skirt over me. Take me under your wings, Boaz. Just as Boaz had acknowledged those wings of the Lord over her, she says, on a human level, take me and provide that place of security for me within marriage. Boaz wants to be sure that she becomes his, and so he says to the nearer kinsman, the day that you buy the field of Naomi, you must also purchase Ruth. Ensuring that he will be Ruth's redeemer and Ruth's husband. It doesn't matter that she's a Moabitess. That's no hindrance. Boaz has heard about her. He has heard that she is a woman of integrity, a woman of faith, that she has said, my God will be, or your God will be my God, your people, my people, your place, my place, your land, my land. Your burial place will be my burial place. Your eternal prospects will be my eternal prospects in the Lord. The elders of the city have heard that she's a virtuous woman. Boaz sees something of himself in her. Ruth has come home. She needs to be redeemed. And that's what Boaz delights to do. I have bought Ruth to be my wife. And the lesson this morning is this. Christ is not concerned about redeeming your property. Yes, he wants all of you. He wants everything about you. But so often we think that if we can give something to God, He'll be happy with that. That that forms the basis of our redemption, whether it's money or time or or talents or some experiences that we've had. Christ is concerned about the person. When he has the person, he has all of you. When he has your heart, he has your affections. He has everything about you then. He doesn't want just one part of your life. He says, my son, my daughter, give me your heart. That's what he's after this morning, isn't he? Just like Boaz wanted Ruth for himself. Christ wants all of you for himself. Don't compartmentalize your life, your lives this morning and think that somehow you can give part to God and keep part to yourself. He wants it all. He wants the person. He redeems, doesn't he? People, sinners, those who have come from Moab, 
Those who have said, I have no other hope but the God of the covenant of Israel. The God of Israel, the God of redemption. Because this God redeems body and soul. He doesn't just ask for my money. He doesn't just ask for an experience. He doesn't just ask for time, for my time. And he doesn't just ask for my talents. He asks for all of me. He's concerned about you as a person sitting here this morning. For a believer, he's concerned about redeeming all of you. The entire person, soul and body, and to bring you soul and body into glory. And that's an accomplished fact in the work of Christ, in His death and His resurrection that ensures that eternal redemption of body and soul. For those who are not in Christ, He's calling you in the land of Moab this morning. He's saying, come and find redemption in Me. Your Moabite past is no impediment to Christ. In fact, it certainly qualifies you to be redeemed by Christ. You see, this is our greater Boaz this morning. He seeks out Moabites and he redeems them. He makes you the purchase of his redemption. He buys sinners with his precious blood. There's power in that blood to do it again this morning. That's the beauty of Christ's redemption. But what is the purpose of redemption? That's our second main thought this morning, the purpose of redemption. Because the accomplishment of redemption is also seen in the purpose of it. There are three purposes we glean from our text this morning. The first purpose is that of marriage. Boaz says in verse 10, Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Malon, I have purchased to be my wife. To be my wife. He redeems her for the purpose of marriage. This was not shadow slavery at work. This was redemption plain and simple. He bought her not to use Ruth, but to raise her up to be his wife. He didn't purchase her to to put her in in his home on display. No, he he purchased her to love her, to, to be in union with her. What an act of redemption that is. Here is a Moabites who risks everything to leave Moab and to come to Israel. Remember what Naomi said at the beginning of of chapter 1 to Ruth and Orpah? Return back to Moab where there is a prospect of a husband for you. And Ruth says, no, I'm going with you to Israel. By faith she recognized that in Israel there would be a prospect of a husband for her, though she couldn't see it. She trusted God. She trusted God. There were no guarantees for Ruth as she entered into Bethlehem as a stranger. And yet in marriage to Boaz, she will no longer be a stranger. But she will be received as one of the people of God. Redeemed by Boaz. So the modern mind reads this passage and says, well, Boaz is just purchasing Ruth to use her. This is slavery. But no, we put on 
the lens of redemption. We see something beautiful unfolding here. A beautiful picture of marriage on a human level, what Boaz was affording her by doing this. There are no barriers any longer. Boaz can, can now take Ruth to be his wife. He can now fulfill his vow and fulfill her desire to come under his wings in marriage. That's what's at play here. And as such, it's a picture of redemption, a picture of spiritual marriage, a picture of the union that takes place when a sinner is united to Christ. The greater Boaz takes sinners. He takes Moabites and he unites them to himself by faith. He marries them. He draws them from Moab into his field. He provides for them. He, he gives generously to them. He responds to them. And they come seeking his protection. He gladly takes them under his wings to shelter them. He takes them into an, an unbreakable union secured by the redemption price of his blood. Listen to these words. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Malon, I have purchased to be my wife. We could take those words and apply them in a spiritual way and say that these are the words of Christ. Providing certainty again for those who are struggling with the thought that Christ could redeem them. Those who have come from Moab and struggle with their their Moabite identity. Christ says, listen to these words. I've redeemed you to take you into union with myself. To make you one of my own. To marry you, to love you with an everlasting love. A love that will not let you go. Sit still, my son, my daughter. Sit still in this marriage. It's in this union that Christ declares, I love you. Will it be a one-sided marriage? How joyless such a marriage would be, wouldn't it? If only one spouse could say, I love you, and the other would constantly doubt and fear and be anxious and question whether that spouse actually does love them. purchase you to be my wife, to be married to me. Christ says, I love you. Sit still. Sit still in his love. Let it fill your mind and your heart this morning. So you can say, it's even with weakness and trembling, I love you, Lord Jesus, for purchasing me. I struggle with saying this, but it's true. I need your protection. I need this marriage to shelter me, to bring me all the way home to redemption, to the land of promise. The purpose of redemption is union or marriage. The second purpose is that of life. Notice what Boaz says in verse 10, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from his brethren and from the gate of his place. 
how would the name of the dead be raised up? It speaks of, of a resurrection here, doesn't it? It would be through the life that issues from the womb. Marriage implied that there would be children. A child that would be born to carry on the family name. That's what Leverett marriage was all about in Scripture. Where a brother would marry his brother's widow and raise up life for the inheritance. And here we could say that Boaz is working on the behalf of Elimelech and Malon and Killian. They die, and yet through the heir that will come and be born, they will live. He will be the one to raise up their name. The purpose of redemption was for life to be born from the union of marriage. Isn't that also the purpose of the greater Boaz, of Christ in that spiritual union that he makes with, with sinners? When he marries them, he, he brings them into life. When there is union with Christ, there is life. That's what Paul says in Galatians. The life that I now live, I live by the Son of God, by Christ, by faith in the Son of God. It's in this union that there is life, eternal life. So when you're tempted to look at yourself, believer, remember that you're married to Christ. Remember that in that union you can sit still and you can be secure and certain that redemption is accomplished because Christ has purchased you to marry you and to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Paul refers to this in Ephesians 2.1 as well. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That union with Christ brings life. And in that union of life, we can live, we can grow to live before him out of the life that he gives. To realize our deadness to sin and to Moab and our life in Christ. Romans 6, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive unto Christ. Because of that union with Christ. There's life in this union with the greater Boaz. The third purpose is that of memory. The marriage between Boaz and Ruth would issue forth in the one who would carry on the name of the family. We read these words, so that the name, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. It speaks of the name of the dead continuing to be remembered. Continuing to be remembered. So redemption was for the memory of the name of the person who had died. It speaks to the security of the family and of the brethren of redemption in the family. It speaks to the security that redemption provides for a line to continue in ancient Israel. Sad reality is that if a family dies off, there is no hope of redemption to come through that line. That's what we see emerging from this narrative, don't we? Elimelech, Malon, Killian, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz. Boaz and Ruth, there'd be marriage, there'd be life. And through that life, there'd be the, the memory of the dead, but more importantly, a line that would continue. Speaking of the family's security for for generations to come. Providence serving as the handmaid of redemption, continuing that line. We'll see that more as we continue to conclude the book of Ruth. It speaks of the hope of redemption and that it provides longevity. 
speaking to the names in a sense of the people of God in the spiritual sense, the names of believers being written in the book of life. Our names are remembered there because of the redemptive work of Christ. Believers live and they die. Their names are forgotten by successive generations, but never forgotten in the mind of God because they're written in the book of life. And so we see how much more the greater Boaz redeems, not just so that the memory of the name of man will continue to eternity. He redeems so that his name is glorified. will ensure the names of the redeemed will be written in heaven. This is the threefold purpose of redemption, to remind us that redemption is accomplished. Again, he calls us to sit still, to take it all in, to rest there. Redemption is accomplished with a glorious purpose. To marry, to bring into union, to bring life out of that union, and to ensure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But lastly, redemption is accomplished, and it's seen in the prospects of redemption. The accomplishment of redemption is seen in the prospects of of redemption. The last verses here are bursting with hope, excitement of what is to come in this union of, of Boaz and Ruth. The accomplished redemption receives public confirmation that Boaz calls for in verse 11, ye are witnesses. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. So here is the first prospect, the security of redemption. We are witnesses. It comes full circle. Redemption receives public confirmation. Boaz is committed to the work of redemption. The people and the elders will now hold him to his obligations of redemption. Speaks of hope that redemption is accomplished and confirmed through public testimony. It speaks to the integrity of redemption. It's done out in the open. It solidifies redemption for these two widows, Naomi and Ruth, who've come from Moab to take up residence in Bethlehem in the house of bread, in the promised land. And it, ensures, it ensures a place for them in the place of promise. It speaks of the hope that will come from the union between Boaz and Ruth who will benefit Naomi. The security of redemption is secure. We've seen that already last Sunday. We see it again now. Redemption is secure. No one can pluck them out of my hand. There's another prospect. It's contained in this word house in verses 11 and 12. That's what we're saying, 367, in anticipation of, of what is to come here in these last verses. In verse 11 we read, The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house, like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house, of Israel, and let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah. As we read through this, this last chapter, there's several words that, that keep coming back in clusters. 
We saw sitting down. We saw the word redeem. And now we have the word house. If it's repeated again and again, it signals to us that this is important. It's speaking of something. This word brings us back, or brings us forward rather, that build to the narratives that build off of Ruth in First and Second Samuel. It brings us ahead to Second Samuel 7 where David wants to build a house for the Lord. He says, I'm sitting here in a house of cedar and the Lord doesn't have a place to dwell in. He's dwelling in a tent. He doesn't have a house. The Lord prevents him from doing that. And in turn, graciously promises that he will build a house for David. David wants to build a physical house for the Lord. And God comes in his covenant promise and says he will build a house for David. A spiritual house. A dynasty. A family line of promise and hope and redemption. A dynasty of grace. A house through which the great Redeemer would come. This was the essence of the promise to David, that he would always have someone sitting on the throne, someone that would issue forth in the promised Messiah, King Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, too, that Elimelech's name appears here again. Ruth comes after judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Elimelech means God is my king. Now it comes back, and here in this last chapter, God is my king indeed. God is working to set his king on the throne of Israel. There was no king, but in his providence, he's, he's moving all these people into, into places, and by his providence, he's bringing them. Boaz redeems Ruth. He, he redeems her to marry her, and God is bringing forth this king to build a house. So let's rewind for a moment from 2 Samuel 7 to, to where we are in Ruth. The words of the people are bursting with hope as they praise the redemptive work of Boaz. They have a keen sense of history, the Lord's hand in that history. The Lord, make the woman that has come into thine house, into your family, like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house or the family of Israel, the dynasty of Israel. In the hand of the Lord, these people of the city wish that Ruth would be like these two women who were instrumental in giving birth to the 12 tribes of Israel in building the house of Israel, the dynasty, the family of Israel. It was through the house of Israel that the Messiah would come. And then they narrow down the focus, not just to the whole house of Israel, but to the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah. Judah was the promised tribe from which the scepter would never depart. The scepter of royalty would never depart from the house of Judah, speaking of the royal line. But it speaks here also of the inclusion of another Gentile woman into the family of redemption, Tamar, the Adullamite, who proved to be of more integrity than Judah himself to ensure that a seed would come. Very similar details in a Gentile coming into the history of Israel, into the family of Israel. 
into the house of Judah. But the comparisons stop in the sordid tale that follows in that history. But what is important here is that Perez becomes the one through whom Boaz would come. The line continues from there to Christ. What we have here is the prospect of redemption coming not just for Ruth, not just for Ruth, but for all of humanity. There's an expansion from the redemption of one to the redemption of many through the coming Messiah. This blessing, as it were, upon the union of of Boaz and Ruth by the people would issue forth in the fruitfulness of the womb, as we'll see next time. The prospect of a house, of a royal house, coming from this marriage of Boaz and Ruth. Then there's the prospect of fame. In verse 11, the people say, And do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. A phrase there means to, to conquer enemies or to, to get wealth or to live in excellence. It's a, it's a blessing upon Boaz to continue living out his integrity, his excellence, his moral virtue and character as we saw the opening verses of chapter 2. Continue living this. To have a famous name in the land of, of Israel and Bethlehem. In Bethlehem specifically, in Ephrata. But it extends beyond the name of Boaz, doesn't it? Because children, whose name would be famous in Bethlehem? It's the name of Jesus, isn't it? He'd be born in Bethlehem, in the fields of Ephrata. The shepherds would, would hear that glad news of Jesus coming into the world. The prospect of the fame, not just of Boaz of the greater Boaz who was coming. The name above every name. The only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. In a believer's ear. It's the name of redemption, isn't it? The name to which we're drawn again this morning. The name of Jesus His name is famous, not just in Bethlehem, but famous in your heart, isn't it, believer? A name that is crying for the fame in the hearts of sinners who do not know Christ this morning to come and bow under that name that will be famous in your heart, that you'll live for no other name than the name of Christ. The final prospect this redemption between Ruth and Boaz is that of the seed. In verse 12, we read this phrase, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. The word seed is, does that ring a bell this morning? What was the first promise after the fall to Adam and Eve? Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. 
It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The prospect of redemption again, not just for the one, but for the many through the seed of the woman. Remember the allusion to to the first marriage on the threshing floor of the man and the woman? We have another allusion to the garden, to the promise of a seed in Genesis 3.15. Here the serpent is dealt another blow by the Lord. Redemption is accomplished by Boaz and the prospect of a seed is very real. Redemption will be accomplished by Christ who is the fulfillment of that seed, the seed of the woman, of the woman who's come into the house of Boaz. He's dealt the final blow to the serpent in the cross. And Psalm twenty-two thirty, prophesies that he will have a seed to serve him. Redemption is accomplished, beloved. It's seen in the purchase of redemption. It's seen in the purpose of redemption. And lastly, it's seen in the prospects of redemption. These are the prospects for Ruth. These are also the prospects for believers this morning, bringing us back to the greater Boaz, to Christ. But what's our duty this morning? Go back to the words of Naomi. Verse 18 of chapter 3. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Sit still. If there's anything you're going to learn from the book of Ruth, I pray it's this. To sit still and to rest in the redemption and the person of Christ. It's finished. It's accomplished. Sit still. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy marvelous work of redemption, pictured here through Boaz in his office as the Redeemer, but also in the greater Boaz, the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Seed, the one who is building a house for himself, even this morning. Do so again, Lord that thy name would be famous in this place, exalted to the heavens for thy marvelous work of accomplished redemption. So help us to rest in that, to know that thou art not in rest until thy work is finished in thy people, until we see thee as thou art. Hasten that day, Lord. We pray for those who are without Christ once more. Thou wilt convict them and draw them that in the turmoil of their own hearts and lives they would come to rest in the Redeemer alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.